Section 17 From Satirical and Humorous Poems, Part 2 The Fudge Family in Paris by Thomas Moore Read for LibriVox.org by Noel Badrian From Miss Biddy Fudge to Miss Dorothy Of Clonkilty in Ireland Amiens Dear Doll, while the tails of our horses are plaiting, the trunks tying on, and Papa at the door, into very bad French is as usual translating his English resolve not to give a sou more. I sit down to write you a line. Only think, a letter from France, with French pens and French ink. How delightful! though would you believe it my dear i have seen nothing yet very wonderful here no adventure no sentiment far as we've come but the cornfields and trees quite as dull as at home and but for the postboy his boots and his queue i might just as well be at clonkilty with you in vain at Desaines did I take from my trunk that divine fellow stern and fall reading the monk. In vain did I think of his charming dead ass, and remember the crust and the wallet, alas. No monks can be had now for love or for money, all owing passes to that infidel bony and though one little neddy we saw in our drive out of classical nampont the beast was alive by the by though at calais papa had a touch of romance on the pier which affected me much at the sight of that spot where our darling Desuit set the first of his own dear legitimate feet modelled out so exactly and god bless the mark tis a foot dolly worthy so grand a monarch he exclaimed oh mon roi and with tear-dropping eye stood to gaze on the spot while some jacobin nigh muttered out with a shrug what an insolent thing ma foi he be right tis the englishman's king and that gros de cochon beggar me will say that de foot look much better if turned tod away there's the pillar too lord i had nearly forgot what a charming idea raised close to the spot the mode being now as you've heard i suppose to build tombs over legs and raise pillars to toes this is all that's occurred sentimental as yet except indeed some little flower nymphs we've met who disturb one's romance with pecuniary views flinging flowers in your path and then bawling for sous and some picturesque beggars whose multitudes seem to recall the good days of the ancien regime all as ragged and brisk you'll be happy to learn and as thin as they were in the time of dear stern End of poem. From Phil Fudge, Esquire, to the Lord Viscount Castlereagh. Paris. At length, my lord, I have the bliss to date to you a line from this demoralized metropolis, where by plebeians low and scurvy the throne was turned quite topsy turvy, 
and kingship tumbled from its seat stood prostrate at the people's feet where still to use your lordship's tropes the level of obedience slopes upward and downward as the stream of hydra faction kicks the beam where the poor palace changes masters quicker than a snake its skin and louis is rolled out on casters while bone is borne on shoulders in but where in every change no doubt one special good your lordship traces that tis the kings alone turned out the ministers still keep their places how oft dear viscount castlereagh i've thought of thee upon the way as in my job what place could be more apt to wake a thought of thee or often afar when gravely sitting upon my dicky as is fitting for him who writes a tour that he may more of men and manners see i've thought of thee and of thy glories thou guest of kings and king of tories reflecting how thy fame has grown and spread beyond man's usual share at home abroad till thou art known like major semple everywhere and marvelling with what powers of breath your lordship having speech to death some hundreds of your fellow-men next speech to sovereign's ears and when all sovereigns else were dozed at last speech down the sovereign of belfast oh mid the praises and the trophies thou gainst from morris of st sophie's mid all the tributes to thy fame there's one thou shouldst be chiefly pleased at that ireland gives her snuff thy name and castlereagh's the thing now sneezed at end of poem ireland's revenge o england could such poor revenge atone for wrongs that well might claim the deadliest one were it a vengeance sweet enough to sate the wretch who flies from thy intolerant hate to hear his curses on such barbarous sway echoed where'er he bends his cheerless way could this content him every lip he meets teems for his vengeance with such poisonous sweets were this his luxury never is thy name pronounced but he doth banquet on thy shame here's maledictions ring from every side upon that grasping power that selfish pride which vaunts its own and scorns all rights beside that low and desperate envy which to blast a neighbour's blessings risks the few thou hast that monster self too gross to be concealed which ever lurks behind thy proffered shield that faithless craft which in thy hour of need can court the slave can swear he shall be freed yet basely spurns him when thy point is gained back to his masters ready gagged and chained worthy associate of that band of kings that royal ravening flock whose vampire wings o'er sleeping europe treacherously brood 
and fan her into dreams of promised good of hope of freedom but to drain her blood if thus to hear thee branded be a bliss that vengeance loves there's yet more sweet than this that twas an irish head an irish heart made thee the fallen and tarnished thing thou art that as the centaur gives the infected vest in which he died to rack his conqueror's breast we send thee castlereagh as heaps of dead have slain their slayers by the pest they spread so hath our land breathed out thy fame to dim the strength to waste and rot thee soul and limb so hath our land breathed out thy fame to dim thy strength to waste and rot thee soul and limb her worst infections all condensed in him End of poem. Phil Fudge in Paris. But think, Dick, their cooks, what a loss to mankind, what a void in the world would their art leave behind, their chronometer spits, their intense salamanders, their ovens, their pots that can soften old ganders, all vanished forever, their miracles o'er and the marmot perpetual bubbling no more forbid it forbid it ye holy allies take whatever ye fancy take statues take money but leave them oh leave them their perigo pies their glorious goose livers their high pickled tunny though many i own are the evils they've brought us though royalties here on her very last legs yet who can help loving the land that has taught us six hundred and eighty-five ways to dress eggs you see dick in spite of their cries of god damn coquin anglais etc how generous i am and now to return once again to my day which will take us all night to get through in this way from the boulevards we saunter through many a street crack jokes on the natives mine all very neat leave the signs of the times to political fops and find twice as much fun in the signs of the shops here a louis dix-huit there a martin must goose much in vogue since your eagles are gone out of use are quarters in shoals and gods a great many but saints are the most on hard duty of any saint tony who used all temptations to spurn here hangs o'er a beer shop and tempts in his turn while there st venetia sits hemming and frilling her holy mouchoir over the door of some milliner st austin's the outward and visible sign of an inward cheap dinner and pint of small wine while st denis hangs o'er some hatter of ton and possessing good bishop no head of his own takes an interest in dandies who've got next to none then we stare into shops read the evening's affiches or if some who are lotharios in feeding should wish just to flirt with a luncheon a devilish bad trick 
as it takes off the bloom of one's appetite, Dick. To the passage day, what ye call it, day panoramas, we quicken our pace, and there heartily cram as seducing young pates as ever could cozen one out of one's appetite down by the dozen. We vary, of course. Petty pates do one day, the next we've our lunch with the Gaufrier's Hollandaise. That popular artist who brings out like Scott his delightful productions so quick, hot and hot. Not the worst for the exquisite comment that follows, divine maraschino, which, Lord, how one swallows. End of poem. Extracts from Mr. Fudge's journal addressed to Lord C. August 10th. Went to the madhouse, saw the man, who thinks, poor wretch, that while the fiend of discord here full riot ran, he, like the rest, was guillotined. But that when under Boney's reign, a more discreet though quite a strong one, the heads were all restored again, he, in the scramble, got a wrong one. Accordingly, he still cries out, this strange head fits him most unpleasantly, and always runs, poor devil, about, inquiring for his own incessantly. While to his case a tear I dropped, and sauntered home, thought I, ye gods, how many heads might thus be swapped, and, after all, not make much odds. For instance, there's Van Sittart's head, Tam Carum, it may well be said if by some curious chance it came to settle on bill solmes's shoulders the effect would turn out much the same on all respectable cash holders except that while in its new socket the head was planning schemes to win a zigzag way into one's pocket the hands would plunge directly in Good Viscount Sidmouth, too, instead of his own grave respected head, for aught I see that bars, old lady Wilhelmina frumps. So while the hand signed circulars, the head might lisp out, What is trumps? The regent's brains could we transfer to some robust man milliner. The shop, the shears, the lace and ribbon would go, I doubt not, quite as glib on and vice versa take the pains to give the prince the shopman's brains one only change from thence would flow ribbons would not be wasted so twas thus i pondered on my lord and even at night when laid in bed i found myself before i snored thus chopping swapping head for head at length i thought fantastic elf how such a change would suit myself twixt sleep and waking one by one with various pericranium saddled at last i tried your lordships on and then i grew completely addled forgot all other heads odd rotten and slept and dreamt that i was bottom end of poem this recording is in the public domain.